welcome to mini episode 131 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I would like to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Tay LeBanc, the infamous Katie Jones, Isabel Barrett, Tina Abesakara, Haley Tompkinson, Amanda Ward, Alan Diamond, Nancy Austin, Gunderson Logistics, Francois Tivruski, Jackie Fanatia, Jamie McCleary, Sarah Harden, Brian Halling, Sabine Ahmed, Daniela, Andrew Larson, and Lou. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 10th of June, 2021. And story number one comes from Sarah. My first paranormal experience was at a very young age, maybe around five or six, or at least this is the first one I remember anyway. Visiting a great aunt in the Lake District with my parents, and her house was a big Victorian terrace number with high ceilings, a large hallway, and a front and back parlour. As we were leaving the house and my great aunt was seeing us off, I vividly remember an elderly woman in a white nightgown frantically looking for something in the front room. She kept looking back over her shoulder at me saying, Wait there! Wait there, I have something for you! As a child, I could only imagine sweeties or a toy, which I wanted for sure, but I was dragged by the hand out of the front door as I protested. I never did find out what she had for me. Many years later, discussing our family tree, those past and present, I asked, Who else used to live in the house with my great-aunt? The answer I got as a young adult did not unnerve me at all, as by this point I had seen and experienced a lot of weird shit. I was told her older sister used to live in that house with her, however she died a few years before I was born, and my great aunt had lived alone ever since. Well, as alone as you can be when your dead sister is still floating around your house. Growing up, I had seen, heard and experienced a lot of trauma, which I for sure have not addressed myself, so we won't get into that. However, one of these is relevant to the story. My parents liked to drink, and inevitably a good fight, and as the years wore on, their relationship grew toxic. Dependencies on alcohol and bad tempers created a not-so-great atmosphere for me and my two siblings to grow up in. The house we lived in was a regular four-bed family home in a quiet estate close to the good Catholic schools and churches. However, no amount of praying or church-going could get rid of the bad energy that was felt inside those walls. It was an understanding over the years. We all knew something wasn't right, but it's only now, years on, that we talk about it. As the youngest, I think a lot was kept from me so as not to scare me and they thought I didn't notice some of the unexplained things that had been happening in our home. How wrong they were. For, I don't know how many years, I was put to bed, the door was left open a crack, and the landing light was left on. Not unusual when you have small children that were afraid of the dark, right? But they misunderstood my reluctance to go to bed. It wasn't the dark I was afraid of. It was that thin crack of light that shone through the open door that illuminated a yellowy pillar on the side of my wardrobe, where every night for a long, long time 
I would see the shadow of someone standing in the doorway, just peeking in. The figure was around six feet tall. I just had a feeling it was male. I could make out a full head, shoulders, arms, legs, the lot. There was no mistaking this was the shadow of someone, a person. After moving the door, checking the lampshade in case it was a trick of the light, ruling out possible explanations, I would blame my brother or my dad at first, trying to scare me and play a prank. But when it was happening and they weren't in the house, I realised it was not one of them either. I would just lay there staring almost paralysed with fear until I'd work up the courage to jump out of bed, close the door and hide under the covers. After a few years it stopped, but I then suffered with insomnia after these events. Maybe I just couldn't sleep thinking the shadow man would return. He did, but in later life, and we will get to that in good time. As life went on and I got older, it became apparent that my brother seemed to have a bit of a sixth sense for the paranormal. I overheard conversations between him and my dad, who has always been into that sort of thing, about hearing things and seeing things in the house. One day I plucked up the courage to join in with the conversation, as they didn't seem to be shielding me from the topic as much now that I was older. My brother explained to me that there were several entities in the house, some good, some bad, some were just passing through. But there were two in particular that stayed and were around all the time. A female who was kind, and we now believe it to be my mother's mother, who died when my mum was only in her early twenties, and only my sister as a small baby ever met her. The other he described as male, around six feet tall, large, dark, no features, just a dark mass but most certainly a man. My blood ran cold. The shadow man. He was real, he was here, and my bloody brother was seeing him all the time. What did he want? My brother told me he was not a good man and was very angry and very violent. He now thinks it could have been a demon he was so malevolent, but who knows? As the relationship between my parents slowly and horribly broke down, the atmosphere in the house was dark, but not just because of them and what the family was going through. It was as if the malevolent being my brother spoke of was feeding from the anguish of those who lived inside the house. We all experienced the same things, sometimes together, sometimes alone. Footsteps. Plates crashing around kitchen cupboards, seeing large figures in doorways, reflections of a person in mirrors and glass cabinet doors, dark shadows lurking at the bottom of the stairs at night, even hearing our names being called when we were alone. And thank God for digital radio, because I cannot be around old-fashioned analogue radios without the signal being scrambled and hearing voices through the white noise. One night when I was around 15, only me and my mother were home. After going to bed early, I was woken up by my mobile ringing. It flashed up on the screen that my mum was ringing me. I was so confused as we were both in the same house and it was around 2 or 3 a.m. In my sleepy state, I pressed the green button and moved the phone to my ear. I heard my mum whispering, Sarah, Sarah, wake up, there's somebody in the house. She was right. I could hear it, clear as day. 
Someone moving around downstairs, moving things, flicking blinds, opening cupboards, perhaps looking for things to steal. My heart jumped right out of my chest. I could hear the blood rushing through my ears and I have never been more terrified in my life. Our bedrooms were the other side of the landing from each other and one of us would have to cross the top of the stairs to get to the other. Or if an intruder came up, they would come across one of us first. But which one? What the fuck should we do? I whispered, looking around for a weapon and coming up short. We decided to stay on the line and both come out of our rooms so we could see each other. We stood either side of the landing and we could now hear the intruder in surround sound. It was so clear and 100% there was somebody in our house. Shit. From where I was, I could see into the living room, which was just a dark abyss. I could see nothing at all. No streetlights streaming through the windows, no cars going by, not a shadow or anything. Just blackness and the sound of someone moving around. I decided to take my chances while the noise from downstairs was in its full throes. I leaped across to the top of the stairs to my mum's side and we both retreated back into her room. She called the police, who stupidly advised her to investigate, saying it could just be an open window and the wind creating noise. They stayed on the line while we did so. It's the bravest either of us have ever had to be. Creeping down the stairs and still seeing nothing but darkness, we edged closer to the living room, which you had to go through to get to the kitchen, garage and utility room. It was so strange. It was as if someone was right in front of us, shuffling about, but you could not see anything, as if the black had filled up every corner of the room. My mum reached her hand inside and scrambled around to find the light switch for what seemed like a lifetime, and then click, the light came on, and nothing. Another three dark, scary rooms to get through. The police stayed on the line as we checked the kitchen and again nothing. The door leading to the garage was locked from our side and the key was still in the door. There was no way someone could get out, lock the door behind them and leave the key in. Right? We carried out the rest of the search and nothing. We found absolutely nothing, no sign of a break-in, no open windows or doors, everything still in its rightful place. The police were rather smug about it and put it down to two women home alone getting scared and hearing their neighbours or something. But we knew different. There was something in our house. Time wore on and my brother and sister moved out. My parents worked shifts and I was often home alone. I sat on the sofa watching Star Trek waiting for my dad to finish his shift and come home. I did not like to be home alone and had to sit uncomfortably on the edge of a chair as this was the only place I could not see a doorway or anything reflective. A then standard practice to avoid seeing someone or something watching me. My mind starts to wonder. I noticed the small gold carriage clock on the telly, which had been a wedding gift to my parents, and had not worked for a long time. But it was ticking. I got up and took the clock in my hand. I checked the back and there was no battery in the small slit at the back, so how was it working? 
Just then, I saw the lights of what I presumed to be a car swinging into the street, dance across the blind on the window next to me. I went to the window to see if it was my dad. I couldn't wait to show him the clock. But there was no car on the drive, no car on the street, no neighbours, no visitors. The street was dead. As I had my back to the room, I heard clear as a bell a woman say my name. I froze for a moment and then turned around. No one. I dashed to the porch, shutting the inside door behind me and waited for what seemed like forever for my dad to come home. My torment didn't end there, but there are far too many incidents to mention. Eventually, my parents split up and we left this house. The family the house was sold to only stayed a year and sold it on. We heard they had small children and they had been talking to ghosts. But whatever happened, it was bad enough for them to leave, sell quickly and never look back. As for the shadow man, I've lived in several homes since this one. Both times I have seen him in adulthood have been during the day in full daylight, with large windows or patio doors in the room. Once leaving my room, looking back at me featureless, but I could feel him looking into my soul. The other, he was hanging over my bed as I woke up in the morning, again full daylight, but his face was right in mine, the black almost fuzzy like a TV screen. After shouting, fuck off, I thought we were done with this shit, he disappeared and I've never seen him since. So, if you ever have the same problem, tell him to fuck off. It did the trick for me. Or maybe I just wasn't surrounded by the negative energies I once was and he no longer had anything to feed off. You decide. Firstly, I would love to know what your great aunt's sister wanted to give you. Or at least what her ghost wanted to give you. Because she was obviously scrambling around looking for something and was in some way aware of your presence. So what was it she wanted to give you? That's what I would be wondering. And again, we have a story that is surrounded by the breakdown of a marriage and what sounds like the really toxic breakdown of a marriage. And I do wonder like, if what Sarah says is true, if it is possible that the hat man or whatever he is, the shadow thing, arrives when there is a lot of toxic, bad, negative energy in a household. So many of our stories are surrounded by stories of divorce or stories of the breakdowns of relationship or stories of illness in a household. So is it that this negative energy creates the perfect environment for the shadow man to rock up and peek in your doorway and smash your shit up? Can we all just acknowledge as well that that is really not good advice from the police at that time. Not good advice at all. However, it is important to remember that the person you get on the other end of that phone is also a human being and they make bad decisions too. But I have been at the receiving end of terrible advice from the police before, which could have ended terribly and luckily didn't. And in this case, it also could have ended terribly if there was an intruder in the house. Like, come on. And story number two comes from Becky. Let me start by saying that I can see ghosts. I don't see them with my eyes. I see their presence with another part of my brain. It's not vision so much as an awareness that there is a person there. 
It's really difficult to describe. I can tell you that there's someone sitting in that old rocking chair or standing in the corner of the drawing room in the historic house. It's like if you walk into a pitch dark room and you know there's someone in the room, except in my case, I'll turn on the light and a physical living person may or may not be there. Oddly, I don't get this feeling at all in the presence of actual dead human bodies, such as funerals. It's not linked to a physical body, I don't think. As far as I can tell, it's that something in my brain can sense the presence of another awareness. Humans, mammals, birds and fish all feel aware to me, and so do what I can best describe as ghosts. I have experienced a series of odd presences in the course of my four-year career as a long-distance semi-truck driver in the mid-2000s. This is a trucker story, but not one I've heard about second-hand. It's my own experience. I'm not sure when I first started feeling the presences. It just happened. And then it happened again and again. It happened so regularly that I began expecting it. Or at least I stopped being surprised when it happened. It went like this every time. I'd be driving my semi-truck down a two-lane road in the countryside late at night. It would be raining or misty, very damp outside. I would be listening to an audiobook over the truck stereo system. I would be wide awake and not really thinking of much besides paying attention to the story of my driving. I would become aware that the temperature in the truck had become cold. Really cold. Though I hadn't made any changes to the temperature controls in hours. And I would become aware of a presence in the truck cab with me. It would always be the same. Sitting in the centre of the bottom bunk behind me. Knees together, hands on knees, quiet, listening to the story. To say that this was unnerving would be an understatement. The open layout of the inside of the semi-truck meant that anyone sitting in the middle of the back bunk was literally looking at the back of my head. That's uncomfortable enough when you have a physical person doing it. It's extremely disconcerting to have someone you can't see staring at you from behind while you're trying to drive. I started thinking of these presences as the passengers. I got the feeling that they were spirits tied to the roadways in some manner. Some felt creepy, but most just seemed to be there to listen to the audiobook stories and pass the time. At first, I flat out tried to get rid of them when they turned up. The most effective method seemed to be cranking the heat up and baking them out. By the time it reached sauna level heat in the cab, they had left. I actually stopped playing audiobooks over the stereo speakers, using instead a small player and headphones or earbuds, because they showed up less often if there wasn't a story being played. I was pretty matter-of-fact about it, and I didn't tell anyone about it. I just dealt with it as one of the more weird things that happened with life on the road. Sometimes I had invisible passengers, and that was that. After a couple of years of this, I started addressing them. I began playing audiobooks over the truck stereo speakers again. When the temperature dropped and I became aware of a passenger sitting on the bunk, I would say something along the lines of, I know you're there, and it's okay if you want to stay, just don't be creepy. I usually sensed something from my passenger after I spoke to them, sometimes just quiet relief, sometimes anger and menace, and once a strong feeling of, 
Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to be creepy. That seemed to be coming from a young girl. Anyway, we quietly coexisted for the most part on those dark and rainy nights, and I baked out the ones who persisted in feeling menacing. I drove semi-truck for four and a half years. While I mostly drove alone, I had friends and family who also drove truck for the same company, and I would spend many hours on the phone with them while I was driving. It helped us both stay awake and focused, and was less lonely in a job where you're basically alone 90% of the time. Once I was on a phone call with my best friend, who was also a truck driver, when I realised there was a passenger with me. I said something to my friend about needing to go. I had a situation to take care of, that I would call him back in a bit. And out of the blue, he asked me if it was a ghost. I asked him to explain. And he did. You know, they sit on the bottom bunk with their hands on their knees and listen to the radio. Happens on rainy nights and back roads. Sometimes in the deep south, they'll sit in the passenger seat. I usually just talk to them. I was amazed. I had not said anything to him before about my experience with the passengers. Neither had I written about my experience or, well, told anyone. So after that conversation, I began quietly asking around. Turns out we all had various terms for them, but every driver I knew well enough to ask had stories. If you think about the most prevalent theories about how ghosts show themselves, some things line up strongly and make sense. Ghosts are said to pull on electrical energy, such as from electronics and batteries. A running semi-truck produces a lot of excess energy, mostly given off as heat. Ghosts are said to be more active in rainy or moist environments. And the way the temperature inside always dropped, well, that speaks for itself. I think that eternity must be long and boring, and roadway ghosts are always up for a good story and some company. Anyone who likes real-life ghost stories soon understands that second-hand furniture sometimes comes with a surprise ghost attached. I'm not a fan of having ghosts. They scare me. But I'm poor, so I can't afford to not have second-hand furniture. I've mostly been lucky to not get ghosts with my furnishings. But this mattress was different. I was given the mattress back in 2015 when I was living in an apartment. My father had recently passed away and I needed to move back near my mum to help my family. This was a temporary move, only for a year, so I didn't take any of my household possessions with me, beyond clothes and basic supplies, instead leaving all of my furniture back with my husband in our house several states away. This left me without a proper bed, and when a friend of a friend was getting rid of a very nice California king-size mattress set, I jumped at the chance to have a comfortable sleeping arrangement. I didn't mind that they had had the mattress for 15 years or so. It was clean and that was all that mattered. I shared this apartment with two human roommates and our combined total of 12 kitties. We were a bunch of happy, crazy cat ladies and it was a good arrangement. Because there were so many kitties, it was rare to ever be alone in any room of the apartment. The kitties especially liked my new mattress and I'd usually have three or more sharing the bed with me at any given time. If there hadn't been 12 flesh and blood cats, I probably would have noticed the ghost cat sooner. But I did eventually notice that I had a cat that I couldn't see. 
It happened that the wall behind the head of the mattress got a mould problem from moisture seeping through from outside. It was pretty simple to clean up. I pulled the mattress set a little away from the wall and got to work with bleach spray and rags, laying on the bed to best reach the area I was working on. While I was wiping down the wall, I felt a kitty jump up on the bed and walk around my legs. Nothing unusual about that, of course. Except that when I looked up expecting to say hello to the cat on the bed, there was no cat in the room. Not even one. Okay, weird, I must have imagined it. I went back to cleaning the wall. A few minutes later, I again felt a cat jump onto the bed and walk around my legs. I turned over to say hello and there was no cat in the room. Not even one. This kept happening over and over again during the 30 minutes or so it took to clean the wall. Every single time I expected there to be an actual cat on the bed and not once was there so much as a single cat in the room. Since I had never had an invisible cat that I knew of before the mattress came to me and the mattress was from the home of a lady who had many, many beloved animal companions over the years, I guessed that maybe my mattress had come with an attached ghost cat. The most interesting thing to me about my ghost cat was that it behaved exactly like a perfectly normal cat. It jumped on the bed, it walked on me, it tripped me in the bathroom when I was trying to brush my teeth. As far as I could tell, I essentially had a bonus cat that I didn't have to feed, and I was perfectly okay with it. It was the nicest ghost I've ever met. I kept the mattress set when I moved out of that apartment into the next house, putting it in the enclosed front porch that we used as a guest room. The ghost cat moved with us and stayed with its mattress. While I didn't trip over it in the bathroom anymore, it would still walk on me when I used that mattress for napping or relaxing. Our friend, who stayed with us for a few months, used our guest room. On the morning after his first night in that room, he asked us, Which of your cats is small and black? She came in and made friends with me last night. We, of course, don't have a small black cat. We don't have a small cat of any colour. All four of our cats are big chonkers. We eventually got rid of the mattress when it was time to move again and I haven't felt the ghost cat since, and I rather miss her. I hope she went to the light. She was a good cat, and I'm glad to have known her. I bet there are so many truck drivers out there that have stories that they just don't share. Because they don't believe, they're sceptics, or because they are afraid that people will judge them, afraid that people will laugh at them, or maybe they're afraid themselves, or maybe they think... Did I experience that or am I just losing my mind? I bet you there's so many people, truck drivers, all sorts of different types of people that have stories that they're just not sharing because they're afraid of what the reception will be. I love that you asked the people in your life, the truckers in your life, if they'd experienced anything similar. And they all had, but they all had different names for the passengers. And maybe you're right, like maybe... Maybe eternity is just a really long time and at some point in eternity on the roadside you get the chance to listen to a story so you hitch a ride for a bit of a way. Maybe that's what it is. And of course it makes sense that if you're on the roadside some of those spirits might be good, some of them might be lonely, some of them might be angry, that there'd be all sorts of different feelings that would come with them. And what better way to pass the time than listening to a good story with somebody who isn't threatening. 
And look, you know how I feel about ghost cats. I love a ghost cat. I think it's cool. I think it's cute. I think whatever, if they're going to be knocking around, fair play to them. And story number three comes from Levi. I live in the small town of Granbury, Texas, which is known for how haunted it is. And I didn't learn until recently how haunted the surrounding small towns are. My friends and I are amateur ghost hunters, so we always expect to see and hear things. But sometimes we get more than we asked for. And it's not always ghosts we encounter. In our adventures, we've encountered skinwalkers, wendigos, weeping angels, hellhounds, demons, angels, cults, potential werewolves, and boring old ghosts. Today I'm just going to tell some ghost stories, but they still keep me up at night. My friends and I decided to go to a small cemetery in a small town about 20 minutes away. The second we pulled up to the cemetery, I felt uneasy, and I knew someone was watching me. Not wanting to look silly in front of the girl I was in love with, I walked through the gate like I was the most confident man on this planet. We spent about 15 minutes just walking the cemetery and all of us kept hearing footsteps, a baby crying and a woman talking, so we were stoked to be getting so much activity. My friend and I decided to stop and sit on the path so we could just listen and feel the energy. We sat and both started hearing footsteps on both sides of us and behind him the woman was getting closer. We were just sitting completely silent and I got this feeling of dread and hatred from behind me and I look at my friend and told him that something dark was here and wanted us to leave. As soon as I got those words out I got a sharp pain between my right shoulder blade and my spine. My friend picked me up and we ran to the gate. As soon as we stepped out I started ripping my shirt off because the pain was getting worse. Everyone was gathered around me and they went silent. I started yelling at them to tell me what was happening. And that's when my friend who was sitting with me said, You've got a stab wound on your back. I immediately pulled my prayer beads out and began trying to banish this thing from myself. We finally got the pain to stop and we got into the car and headed to another location. On the car ride, everyone was talking about their own ghost stories and I was just getting angrier and angrier. Emily, the girl I'm in love with, grabbed my hand and started praying. Someone in the car mentioned Methuselah, and the second they said this, the pain in my back was stronger and felt like someone was twisting the blade in me. I yelled and told everyone to stop saying that name, and the pain stopped again. Before this, I had never heard that name before, and I now know that he is attached to me and watches over me. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, I still don't know, but I know that other spirits don't like him. We got back to my house and managed to get the spirit unattached from me, but I still refused to go back to that cemetery. On another night, my friends went ghost hunting, but I had a horrible feeling about it, so I decided to stay at home, which was a great decision. Everyone got back to my house after around three hours and they were literally running into my house and locking the doors and windows, yelling about nonsense. I got up, and Emily came into my room to tell me about what had happened, and the second she walked in, someone else did too. There was a shadow figure of a man standing in the corner, and I ran into my bathroom, grabbed my prayer beads, and immediately started blessing my house. Everyone was yelling at me not to go outside, 
so instead I went to the garage. I put my hand on the garage door and as soon as I touched it, I felt the darkest, strongest energy I've ever felt and I got lightheaded and dropped to the ground. I got up and said, Oh, you want to play this game? We'll fucking play. I ran in and grabbed my prayer ring and some crystals and headed back to the garage and began reciting a Buddhist banishment prayer. When I came in from the garage to start blessing the other entrances, everyone was yelling at me, telling me that someone was trying to get in the front door. I turned to the door and through the glass I could see a dark figure standing there and the door began to shake like someone was trying to open it. I told everyone to shut up and let me work. I spent the next 30 minutes putting heavy banishment and protection prayers up and after that everything stopped. I sat down and told them to tell me everything. They told me they'd went to Rock Church, which is another famously haunted location near Granbury, and that while they were there one of them got possessed and the spirit rode in the car with them. I told all of them they were fucking stupid and never to go there again. The only good thing that came out of that night is that I finally realised how powerful I was and what I was capable of doing. We've gone back to rock multiple times and every time there's something new, but again that's a story for another time. One night Emily and I were laying in my bed, which is next to my closet that has a tapestry instead of doors. We were laying there talking about something stupid and we began to hear something tapping on the headboard. It was pitch black in my room, so we just stopped talking and looked at each other. Then suddenly, something shook the headboard. I quickly turned over and grabbed the bat that I kept next to my bed in case someone had broken in and was in my closet. It went silent and I turned back to look at Emily and she was looking at something behind me with absolute horror in her eyes. I slowly turned my head and I see a bony pale hand holding the tapestry and as soon as I see it, it quickly withdraws into the closet. I scream like a baby and I looked at Emily just yelling, What the fuck was that? She just calmly looked at me and said, I didn't think he would follow me here. And I was speechless, so I stared at her with utter confusion. She began to tell me about the demons she has had attached to her her entire life. I won't go into detail about them right now, but the one I will tell you about is the man that now lives in my closet. I've decided to name him Stephen because I feel like this man's name makes him not as scary. After she had explained who Stephen was and everything he had done to torment her, I started joking because that's how I cope sometimes. I had a desk across from my side of the bed and in order to get to it I would have to walk past the closet that I just saw that hand retreat back into. I was facing M, and I said, Damn, I'm thirsty. Do you think if I asked Stephen nice enough he would hand my drink to me? And as I finished that sentence I rolled over and almost shit myself at what I saw. There was a tall, skinny, pale man standing about six inches from me just glaring at me. As soon as I saw him he stepped back into my closet and Emily said, I think he hates you because you're so nice to me. After that I went to sleep with my prayer beads in my hands. That happened a few months ago and since then Stephen still lives in my closet and I've since moved my bed. But every night I can hear that tapestry move and feel him stare at me until I fall asleep. One night he slowly moved out of my closet and picked up my car keys to make them jingle and then went back to the closet. 
Every now and then, he'll venture out and occasionally slam the cabinets. But the other day I was taking a nap and I woke up to my bathroom cabinets being slammed. And then it sounded like someone was throwing the clothes of my closet onto the floor. I jumped up and immediately started saging the house to calm him down. I was standing in my bathroom cleansing it and I noticed handprints on my mirror that are much bigger than my hands. The fingers were long and skinny and the only thing I could think of was about the tall, skinny, pale man I saw that night and I almost shit my pants. Spirits don't really bother me until they begin doing physical things. Stephen still hates me for liking Emily and still watches me sleep. But we have a mutual understanding of leaving each other alone. Moral of the story here is that we all need to stop doing things to try and impress people that we fancy. Thank you so much for listening to today's mini episode. Thank you to Sarah, Becky and Levi for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from June the 10th, 2021. And if you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by checking out the website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.